The first time I met Zigby was about three and a half weeks ago, our first evening in Bethlehem. And a few of us, Liz and myself and uh, Jean and one or two others on the trip, had gone down to Manger Square. And we were just taking photos of uh, the Church of the Nativity at night. And suddenly, over our shoulders, this voice shouted, I'm going to move my microphone aside for this, show us your passports. And we were like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And it was Zugby. So uh, that was welcome to Bethlehem, wasn't it? (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go to Lucy first, though. Uh, Lucy, can you tell us a little bit about the work that should be switched on, about the work you're doing with women particularly? Because I know that you've got a real ministry going on there. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, Good morning. Uh, Thanks for Emma's trust and thanks for you for giving us this space to meet those wonderful people and to tell you about our work, what we do. Um, Actually, I'm working on an organization called the Palestinian Center for Conflict Transformation. It's based in Bethlehem, and uh, it's been established in 1995. And uh, we am, it's a cordial relationship and harmony. It's a classical Arabic word. I mean, the meaning of uh, the center, we am, which means classical Arabic words, harmony, agape. And that's actually what we are trying to do in our community and to work with our uh, community to harmonize to harmonize it. We have different uh, departments. One of the departments, Ministry of Reconciliation, Women Department, Children Department, and uh, the Youth Department. And uh, I'm responsible for the Women Department. Basically, what we do uh, there. Uh, we are trying to work on one of the SDGs, which is uh, Sustainable Development uh, Goals for uh, 2030, which is equity, and uh, it's the number 17 on the SDGs. Equity, uh, working on different level, there is uh, no equity in any level uh, back home. When it comes to work, there is no equity at work for the women. When it comes to inheritance, there is no equity. When it comes to women participation in political, social, cultural level, there is no equity. So what we are calling for, equity. The more you get higher, less women you see. And that's the situation. So through the work that we are doing, we are trying uh, to raise the awareness on the importance of the women's rights, to ask for their rights, and also be, uh, the most important to work on gender, gender and mainstreaming. We don't work alone as a women. We, we walk and talk with the men in order to achieve that, uh, our goals. So men is our alliance. So what we do, we work uh, with students, university students, and uh, within the community to, uh, to, to uh, formalize the alliance of uh, the women in order to achieve what we are looking forward. Uh, also, we have uh, a senior club every Thursday in our center. It's open for the, the whole women. We don't distinguish between Christian, Muslims, refugees uh, from the city. It's our open doors, serving with a smile for everybody. So between 10 and 12, the women will come, and we will uh, definitely organize either a workshop or uh, on health um, or uh, politics or social. It depends on their uh, needs. 
So that's what we do. Those ladies that they joining us, they were only thinking about raising their children. And when their children are married, so they became lonely. So in order to uh, transform their active, from passive to active role, so this is the space that we are giving for those uh, women. Also, we work on the national and international level. We as uh, uh, Palestinian, we adopt lots of international convention, and one of it is which is Sidao or the UN Resolution 1325 that spoke specifically about women and security. So uh, we've been part of uh, the coalitions that work on and put the strategic action plan for Palestine. And uh, we try to disseminate that uh, resolution in our uh, community. Um, we do lots of uh, training on women's rights. And it's not just that. We work on three pillars, which is prevention, protection, and participation. Prevention, we are trying to prevent the women from domestic violence and how, through the work that we are doing it, uh, protection, we protect those women in one of the shelter. We have a shelter house in Palestine, in, basically in Bethlehem located. And uh, we, uh, when we transfer the women to that uh, shelter, we will be working on, with them on counseling, rehabilitation, and the last stage would be integration again within uh, the society. And the beneficiary, basically, they are the bettered uh, women. Um, what else we do? <laughs> well, that's, really, that's a really good introduction to the stuff that you're doing. Um, from those of us who came out and saw a little bit of the work that's going on at WEAM, it is utterly inspiring. I mean, the place, uh, some, those of you who were here last week, I did show a, a photograph of like the little yard with the, uh, with the children's play park in the shadow of the wall and the, the skunk water cannon that kind of points at, at, at where the children play and has, I think, once been used on the kids, hasn't it? Um, so this place is the most amazing centre, offering a voice of peace and reconciliation and lifting up of those who are downtrodden through the process of what's going on out there. Uh, Zubi, um, you're the director of WEAM, aren't you? Is that right? Do you want to kind of add to what Lucy's saying in terms of explaining some of the other areas that it's involved with? Thank you very much, Reverend Simon. Thank also for Amos Trust to Eze, who really had been with us, you have been with us, walking and talking and empowering us at the time when there is hopelessness and helplessness. You know, you've been with us, uplifting our spirit. And this is very important for people like us who are living there, who are living in a big jail, you know, and um, living also in small jails. But your presence and your partnership with us give us different dimension in terms of work, hope, and empowerment. You know, we am, as my colleague said, it is agape, unconditional love. And it's not easy to have unconditional love at that time, at this time. And so we have um, working with people on the level of a family, because we are family-based community-based society. And the family is a viable socio-economic unit. So we try to work with women 
as my colleague said, but women is not only half of the society, but they raise the other half. And I have a conflict with my wife. Uh, when people ask us, how many children do we have? I will say four, and she will say five. <laughs> so this is really uh, something uh, when we talk about empowerment through gender sensitivity and gender justice. But also we work with children. I'm glad to see a child here because children makes 40% of our society under the age of 15, you know? And uh, the children are the bride of their childhood. So we try to provide them with programs to ventilate, to air out, because we don't have the post-traumatic stress disorder. It is an ongoing trauma, layer after layer. And that's really something we need our children to have a normal childhood, to live away from fear, from anxiety, from stress. Uh, so we have summer camps for them. We have trauma coping and not trauma healing. And we are approaching Christmas. We have Christmas smiles for the children and the elderly. And we will have it under the slogan, will not allow the Grinch to steal Christmas. And you don't need to tell you who is the Grinch at this moment, you know? But we will not allow it. So next to the wall, in the shadow of the wall, we'll have a Christmas party, we'll bring smiles to the children, to the deprived, to the oppressed, to the downtrodden, through a humble gift, you know? A humble gift to make them feel they are worthy of life and they are remembered at the time uh, when there is oppression and there is tyranny. We have also program for youth. Youth, and it's good to see here both youth of the age and youth of the heart. You know, 70% um, of our population under the age of 30. So the youth really um, are also suffering a lot. The things that we have for granted in the UK, we are the bride from. There is a theft of spontaneity. You know, you cannot just grab your passport and try to travel. There are lots of difficulties, lots of challenges, lots of checkpoints. So the youth really suffer a lot. And we don't want them to be aggressive. We want them to be assertive, to assert their rights in a very uh, creative, nonviolent way. And so we have programs for youth to train them in conflict transformation, in human rights, in uh, dialogue, in negotiation skills and, uh, you know, committed to their people to have voluntary work and to exchange programs. Well, you know, I'm glad always to have exchange programs. We will not only happy to see people visiting the Holy Stones. It's very important to see the Holy Places. But also would like them to meet the Living Stones. And here two Living Stones, at least. And also to be introduced to the rolling stones of the socio-economic political conditions that we live in. So with the youth, we try through exchange to help them air out their frustration. Because the, uh, you know, unemployment is skyrocketing. For example, in Gaza, you are talking about 60% to 70% unemployment. If you look at the West Bank, 30 to 40% unemployment. And those who are employed have very low salary scale. So uh, compared to Israeli society, where the GNP per capita in Israel more than $34,000 per year, 
in West Bank, one to $2,000. In Gaza itself, around $700. So you can see how the youth are living in our society. And of course, we are doing a lot of mediation conflicts. And here I stop because mediation is very important. Our ministry is the Ministry of Reconciliation. And you know, it is good season for conflict, never be a dull moment. We receive freely and we give freely. Thank you both ever so much. Um, can we give them a round of applause now? Because that's... <laughs> yeah, of course you can, Lucy. Um, actually, before uh, we'll end here, I would like to invite you uh, to join Amos Trust on May. They will organize a women trip to Palestine and Israel, and it would be a great chance for you to get to know the Rolling Stones. <laughs> And, and the Living Stones. So this is a women's trip coming up in May. Trip. Yeah. Okay, well, I would, and this is organized by Amos? Yes, Amos and we am. Brilliant. Uh, if you've not been, and you are a woman, <laughs> I would say definitely go, because it was, it was a transformatory experience to be out in the West Bank and to see what's going on out there. It really was. Um, and just to thank Amos Trust as well, because, I mean, you've organized having Zubi and Lucy over here, uh, okay, we're going to have our uh, first Bible reading this morning, which Tim is going to bring for us. The first, reading, the first reading is from the book of Kings, 1 Kings in the Old Testament. And if you want to follow it in the um, Pew Bibles, it's on page 352. So it's 1 Kings, chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. Later, the following events took place. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Because it is near my house, I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, why are you so depressed that you will not eat? He said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, do you not govern Israel? Get up, eat some food and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she, re so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth city. She wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the assembly. Seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring a charge against him, saying you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. 
The men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as, Jezreel, as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the assembly. The two scoundrels came in and sat opposite, opposite him, and the scoundrels brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Go, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab went out to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. So that's the end of the first reading, to be resumed. So we resume this, the reading from the same uh, place where we left off in 1 Kings 21, this time at verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, You have killed and also taken possession. Have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring disaster on you, I will consume you, and, cut, and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. Also concerning Jezebel, the Lord said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the bounds of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the air shall eat. Indeed, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He acted most abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord drove out before the Israelites. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth over his bare flesh. He fasted, lay in the sackcloth, and went about dejected. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster on his house. 
So now I'd like to invite Zugby, who's going to come up and preach for us this morning and open this, this difficult scripture. This is a troublesome story. Uh, and let's hear how that applies. <laughs> Thank you. Really, I don't know why I have chosen this story. <laughs> 3,000 years ago, this happened. Where? In the Northwest Bank, if you'd like to call it, where the, our uh, colleagues, friends, our cousins, the Israeli, call it Judea and Samaria. 3,000 years ago, King Ahab coveted the land of Naboth. He wanted his vineyard. He wanted his garden. And he used the politics of carrot and stick. Naboth, I wanted your vineyard. Give it to me. Naboth said, no, I couldn't. This is the land of my ancestors. He said, then King Ahab was angry. He said, I, I'll buy it. I'll give you better land. You know, better land from a king who has the power. And you know, the power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Lack of power also corrupts. King Ahab wanted that land. And poor Naboth, who has no power, said, the land is not for sale. It's not easy to talk to the power in that language. I remember visiting the Native Americans in Lakota, in Dakota area, where also such words say the land is not for sale. We heard it in Latin America, in Africa, in every place. But the power to be thing might make it right. Let us take it. This king, in a way or another, was not so bad to a point to use power and tyranny and violence to get it. But his wife saw him angry and said, you are the king. What are you doing? You can't implement what you want. So she wrote letters to the elderly. You know, this is using the social system, the political system, religion to justify the confiscation of land. And found two, I call them mercenaries, to accuse Naboth that he cares God and the king. And of course, the judgment was to stone him to death. It seems we are living in the same period. So there is no past. It has been happening since then. And for me, as a native speaker of Arabic, I like to omit the past tense in the English. It has been happening. The same story. King Ahab represents the tyrant kings, the tyrant rulers in the Middle East. Naboth represents the Palestinians. And up till this moment, the power to be 
would like to have the land not only in the Galilee, but also the West Bank and East Jerusalem. If you heard about Khan al-Ahmar or the Jordan Valley or Jerusalem itself and wanted again by the politics of carrot and stick. You know, give it to us. No, the land is not for sale. No, 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 it is for security reasons we need the land. You know, and now it seems this is happening. And King Ahab, with other seven kings at the time of Israel, were representing the tyrant kings, king after king. Then the land was taken under the security threat. You know, King Ahab angered God by his worshiping idols, by having Baal as the new religious, you know, God, the national God of Israel at that time. And nowadays we see that security is the new golden, golden calf, confiscating land. When I talk about that, you know, reminded by Bishop Kamara. Bishop Kamara said, you know, when I used to feed the poor, they call me saint. When I used to ask why the poor is poor, they call me communist. And it seems nowadays, if we talk about why this happening, as if we are interfering in politics. By the way, when we talk about the situation, we are not against Jews or any faith, because Jews, Christians, and Muslims are the children of Abraham. And many times I look at this conflict as the dysfunctional family of Abraham, you know? And family feud is worse than any other feud. And the story continues, and the oppression continues until, you know, Ahab is trying to force a new world order. But who was there? Prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah is one of the greatest prophets from the time of Moses to the advent time of John the Baptist. Elijah is known for his righteousness. And he came to Ahab to rebuke him and to tell him, you haven't learned the lesson from Jeroboam and other prophets. You need to know the lesson. And it seems Elijah is talking to us nowadays. Are we listening to God more than our interests, more than our greed in the sense of taking the land or, you know, treating others with injustices? And... Um, Elijah made it clear what you have done Elijah is not good you will suffer and your wife will be suffering and I feel Elijah is the voice of the voiceless at John the Baptist when he talked about a voice in the wilderness you know and we need such voices who is going to be Elijah nowadays in our place 
Who is going to tell the power to be what you have done is wrong? Don't use religion. God is a God of inclusivity, God of love. It's not a real estate agent God who gives land to this group and deprives the others from it. God is not a tribal God who fight with others against others. God is agape, God is love. And we need to see that. We need to implement that God is for all. He doesn't discriminate between his kids. And for us, as, as I today reminded me that we all created in the image of God. Yes, as Muslims, as Christians, as Jews, and especially when we talk about Christian and Jews, we are belonging to this Jewish Christian heritage. We forget about that. You know, we talk about this heritage that we need to be reminded that we are all created in the image of God. As John Donne also says, no man is an island, no woman is an island. If a cloth is washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. We are from this global family. We need to take care of each other, to be together. Elijah should be alive again. And we need Elijah, not only regarding politics, but also in offices, in our offices, in our families, in our relationship. We need to be reminded injustice, as Martin Luther King says, injustice will not last forever. Any injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Because uh, I am afraid we are living the same time at King Ahab and, and Naboth in spiritual poverty. There is deterioration on morality. There is spiritual deterioration. Are we going to be abroad to the point that what Micah says, what does the Lord require from thee? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Are we living up to that incident? Are we living to that call? And as Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of my brothers and sisters, you are doing it for me. And this is the response to such a story, to such a tyranny. And there are many lessons learned. You know, Elijah gave us hope, empower us. And also, we are not lone actors. All of us are together. Amos trust with, with the, the, this prophet, small prophet, but he talks about justice. Let justice roll down like mighty water. You know, and we are reminded of justice. And here, when I talk about justice, I'm not talking about punitive justice. I am talking about restorative justice, how to redress the wrongs rather than avenging them. And then justice lesson from my daughter. She was six years old. She was playing with her cousin. And one of her cousin made her angry. He came to kiss her, to hug her, to say sorry. She said, sorry is not enough. Hug is not enough. A kiss is not enough. I need chocolate. <laughs> so chocolate is a sign of reparation. It is a sign that, yes, we need others to redress their injustices 
and not to have cheap grace. At the same time, we want others to, to come to their senses and not to their knees. We want them to be careful, accepting and acknowledging what they have done and correcting it at this, because we are one family regardless where we are coming from, regardless to our color, nationality, our sexual orientation, anything. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the struggle for justice and peace. You know, Elijah always tried to remind us that yes, we should be responsible. And here also we am is linking to that and where Jesus also entice the collective responsibility. You know, collective responsibility is a cure for such tyranny. You know, again, whether it's politically, socially, economically, whether what happened to the Africans during the colonial time, whether what happened to the uh, Afro-Americans during the passage or to the Native Americans or Latin Americans, you know, we need justice. By the way, when I talk about justice, when I talk about colonial power, everyone could be a colonial power. That's why I believe in the hyphenated character. Yes, I am oppressed, but I am also oppressor. I remember um, visiting my kid's godmother. She came from Native American background, and she's married to Anglo-Saxon. I chickened to ask her a question in front of him. He was a famous doctor. He went to do operation in the hospital. And I said, Jerry, really tell me, what do you think of the white person? I was afraid of her answer. But she told me, everyone is capable of doing evil. And everyone is capable of doing good. It's not issue related to color or nationality. It is the oppression that we are against. That's why we are not against Jews. We are against the occupation. Because Jews, in our, they are our cousins, we say. And we could be also oppressors if we don't think of accountability. So this is really what we should look for, justice and collective responsibility. And collective responsibility, I conclude with that story. You know, collective responsibility is very important. Remember, four people carrying a paralyzed person wanted to bring him to Jesus to heal him. But the crowds were everywhere. They couldn't bring him in or bring her in. What they do? It is easy to say, we tried our best. Let's go home. We can sleep. They, there is costly discipleship. They went under the roof, sweated, took some of the tiles, got their hands dirty, and lowered the paralyzed person in front of Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? You are healed because of their faith. You are healed because of their faith. This is a call for collective responsibility. A call for Elijah to see collective responsibility replacing collective guilt. Because I don't believe in collective guilt. And Jesus came to give us life, to celebrate life. And this is what we need. We want to celebrate life with Jews, with Muslims, with the Christians, Palestinians and Israelis. A call for life. 
to celebrate differences. And as I conclude with Martin Luther King says, every step towards justice requires the three S's, struggle, suffer, and sacrifice. And if we need peace and justice, we need another S, sustainability. And this church and Amos Trust create a sustainable approach for us in a way or another. Sustainability will help us to move from the dialogue of arms to arms of dialogue. To justice is not just us, it's justice for all, an inclusive term, and pluralistic approach, and mutuality and reciprocity. Thanks for giving us the time and to let you hear the message from the oppressed in terms you are uplifting us, in terms you are healing us through listening and having compassionate listening. Thank you. Zubi, thank you so much for bringing that challenge and encouragement for us to continue to find ways of standing with the oppressed, and particularly, in your case, the oppressed in Palestine. We will, we will do that, and we will continue to, continue to be friends and to stand together across barriers that would otherwise divide. So we bring our prayers for the world. Let us pray. God of Advent, in a world of chaos, you can be very hard to find. The good news of your presence can seem at best a mystery. So teach us to wait for your unveiling and give us faith to trust in your revelation. When our world is in winter, comfort us with faith that the long dark nights and cold hard days do not last for eternity. Help us to learn the lesson of the skeletal tree against the winter sky and the dormant bulb in the frosted ground. Help us to trust that new life is already there within our world of winter and that days of darkness contain within themselves the assurance of your coming to all who seek you. So today we bring before you the needs of our winter world, and we offer our faith in the inbreaking of your new season of justice and joy. We pray for our planet, and we rejoice that progress has been made on tackling climate change but we recognize that there is so much still to do and that countries will need the courage to act against self-interest if genuine change is to be achieved. Give us the courage to speak out, to call your world to the selfless path which brings life. And so we pray for all those who are victims of natural disasters. May we learn to live in ways that are in harmony with the natural world. In a world of winter, we offer our faith in the inbreaking of your new kingdom of justice and joy. In a world of war and terror, we pray for peace on earth 
when nations and ideologies take up arms to fight for right, we find wrong on all sides. We hold before you the current crisis in Europe with refugees who have nowhere to live seeking new life far from home. We hold before you the situation in Palestine, people displaced and oppressed. Lord, forgive us our silence and our complicity. Help us to find new ways where spirals of violence find their end in you as you call us to a new way of being human where forgiveness trumps retaliation and violence stops with us. In a world of winter, we offer our faith in the inbreaking of your new season of justice and joy. We pray for all those who suffer because of their faithful witness to your kingdom of peace. And we think especially of those Christians who face harassment, discrimination, slander, false accusation, detention and imprisonment because they will not turn from your path. We pray that they will remain strong in faith and trust and that they will know your presence with them as they walk the costly path of the cross. We think of the work of WeAm in Bethlehem and their partners. And we thank you also for organizations like Release International, Action by Christians Against Torture, and Amnesty International, as they face the darkness with unflinching gaze. In a world of winter, we offer our faith in the inbreaking of your new season of justice and joy. So we pray for those who find this time of year especially difficult. We think of those who find the loss of loved ones hard to bear. We pray for those for whom the coming Christmas festivities speak of unfulfilled dreams. And we ask that you will reveal yourself to those who are mourn and to those who are sad. Be their comfort and joy. And may those of us who are happy be attentive to those who are not. Loving God of Advent, we await your coming. And we anticipate your revelation and we long for your unveiling. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. <laughs>